Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. In the summertime, who's paying attention to local politics, really? But you should be, because there's a number of important races on the ballot this year in Connecticut, and the August 14th primary is a little more than a month away. Coming up, two political scientists will join us to talk about the gubernatorial election and their take on my next guest. Ned Lamont is a Democratic-endorsed candidate for governor, and he joins Where We Live in studio today to take our questions and yours. As always, you can join the conversation, the number 860-275-7266. We're also on Facebook Live today. You can add your question in the comments field below the video, and you can also tweet us at Where We Live. Again, I want to welcome Ned Lamont into our studios uh, at WNPR. Ned, welcome to our show. Great to be here, Lucy. So this is not the first time you're running uh, for the governor of Connecticut. Uh, Tell us why this time. I think it's a continuation of what we started eight years ago. Eight years ago, I said we've got to make big changes in how we do business in Hartford or else uh, we're going to still keep floating along in a less than optimal place. And here we are eight years later. We still have the same budget deficits. We still have a uh, flat economy. We're not creating as many jobs as we should. And I think now is the time people are ready to have a governor who will be absolutely fearless in shaking up Hartford, taking on the entrenched interests in both parties, and then trying to bring people together to get to an honestly balanced budget and start investing in our future again. Uh, Connecticut's fiscal issues um, aren't easily solved. Uh, That's obvious in the last uh, few years, especially with these recurring um, billion-dollar deficits. Uh, What will you bring to the table that's any different from what Governor Malloy has proposed over the last eight years? I'll solve it. What I hear from uh, mayors, what I hear from teachers, what I hear from small business, what I hear from everybody is we got to get an honest budget on time. What's impossible is uh, passing a budget and then six months later it's out of whack and they go back to the cities and uh, people don't know whether their classrooms are going to be open, what's going to be the status of the number of teachers in the school. So that will be a priority number one for me. And how do you do it? Well, one, you work with an open door. I'm going to have Republicans and Democrats. I'm going to have business and labor. Look, I got strong support from labor, and I'm a business guy. Uh, I'm a progressive Democrat. I look a little like a Republican. So I think I'm going to try my best to bring people together and make the compromises you need to get the first balanced budget in a long time. You said that you have support from labor. There are residents in the state of Connecticut that look to uh, the labor unions as part of the problem with how uh, benefits have been negotiated over the last few decades. Uh, this, uh, the newest contract I don't think can be opened up until 2027. Uh, we have massive pension uh, liabilities in the state. The, the debt issue is a big one. So I'm just curious, again, uh, when we talk about solving uh, what's been ailing Connecticut, I mean, how do you do it besides getting uh, a balanced budget on time? Well, first of all, I think uh, blaming the unions is, is wrong and um, it misses the point. You know, over the last uh, 35 years, we've uh, negotiated agreements with our teachers and our firemen and cops and state employees. And, um, and uh, the problem is we didn't put any money into those pension funds. We made a lot of promises and we hoped somebody else would pay. We put it on the credit card. Now the bill is coming due. So 
I would not blame that 70-year-old retired teacher for the fact that uh, we didn't put away money necessary to uh, support her pension. Um, that said, yes, uh, I believe in collective bargaining. Collective bargaining means people get to the table. And I'm going to have uh, state employees at the table. I'm going to have business at the table. I'm going to have uh, make sure that we work through this together going forward. Everybody's going to have to give up a little. Uh, your opponents, especially on the Republican side, uh, side uh, say that you're pretty much just Dan Malloy. Dan Malloy, uh, one of the most unpopular governors uh, um, in recent history. Tell us how you're different from Dan Malloy. Well, first of all, we tell these guys that when they were sitting around um, – running hedge funds or being mayor, I was taking on Dan Malloy. I challenged him eight years ago. I said, if we don't make big changes in Hartford, we are going to be in the same problem eight years later that we are today. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm continuing that. I'll also be the first guy, I think, in the history of the state who's actually started a business and created jobs. Very different background than the legislators and mayors and the guys who traditionally uh, come into the uh, governor's office. And how about having a guy that started a business, helping the lead a state, that's almost dead last when it comes to starting businesses and creating jobs. I think that's what you need going forward. That will be a big change from where we've been, not just the last eight years, but really the last 48 years. Uh, Ned, you uh, mentioned you challenged uh, Dan Malloy for governor back in 2010, but you weren't able uh, to win that election. So what makes you the better candidate this time around? I think this time around, people are ready for the big change. I think eight years ago, Lucy, a lot of people folk, gosh, when the economy turns around, Connecticut will turn around. We'll tighten up some things and, uh, and we'll be fine. And it's eight years later and the economy has turned around and Massachusetts and a lot of our other um, states in the area are uh, well surpassed the number of jobs they had back before the Bush crash. And uh, Connecticut is still uh, trying to keep up and we're not keeping up. We're not keeping up for some very specific reasons. There's some good news. I mean, eight years ago when I took on Dan, people were lined up at the unemployment office just desperate to know what their future might be. This time around, we have tens of thousands of really good-paying jobs that we can't fill. You know, that's at Pratt. That's at Sikorsky. That's at Electric Boat. Those are teachers. Those are nurses. So if we – first thing you want to do when you talk about the budget – is make sure these are Connecticut jobs for Connecticut people. These jobs stay right here. And folks here in the state are going to be taking those jobs. And I, as governor, number one thing i got to do is make sure we train people for these jobs. You know, it's incredible to me that we have um, a pretty good community college system, but we're graduating 8,000 or something fewer folks today than we were eight years ago. At the exact same time, we have jobs we can't fill. I'm, I'm interested that we brought up the community colleges and also uh, having the right training to fill uh, these many uh, defense jobs in the state. Uh, the state colleges and university system is undergoing some change, proposed change, to consolidate um, these community colleges also. But these students, many of them non-traditional, continue to see their tuition going up. How would you solve that as governor of the state of Connecticut when we look at, again, our massive debt obligations and the legislature can really only cut in a few places? education, and social services. Well, back to the community colleges. Uh, after GE left and they told us, we convened a group of the political and business leaders, um, labor leaders, you know, why'd you leave? They said, you're not training people for the 21st century. So I led a workforce development study. We went to all the major companies in the state. We said, what are the type of jobs you're going to need to fill over the next five and 10 years? We also talked to some of the labor unions because their trades folks are beginning to retire as well. What do you need for that? You know, when from there we started talking to the community colleges saying, how can we better align what our employers need and what you're training people for? And that's how we're going to start uh, working through this. So you asked about the 
reform of the community colleges. Look, any reform that helps us streamline things, you know, I support. But I like locally controlled community colleges where they know the needs of the local workforce so we train people for the jobs in their area. So are you saying that this plan that uh, Marco Jakian has put forth in the Board of Regions is not a good one, this idea of having a regional system, uh, uh, a head CEO uh, to run uh, or president to run the the 12 community colleges and there's uh, less control within the communities? Is that a bad idea? Well, he's reformed that idea, so I've got to take a look at how he's changed that. But again, I like the idea of sharing services and streamlining costs, no question about it. But I do like the idea of each of these community colleges having their own leadership so they know what the community needs and they train people for it. Uh, In terms of uh, the tuition hike question, how, again, can you avoid, you and the legislature avoid uh, increases in the future uh, with uh, the big bill, with the pension and the health benefits for retirees that you've mentioned over eight decades was not paid for at that manner? I think, again, I got to work much more closely with the business community. Let's say um, electric boat. And they're um, hiring about 1,000 people a year. And they need people in very specific skills, laser welding. Um, and uh, right now, they can't fill all those jobs in Connecticut. Right across the river, you've got a Rhode Island where you have the governor there has provided, created a community college specifically oriented towards training people to help build submarines. So we better be able to compete with that. And I can do that with Electric Boat. And Pratt & Whitney, you know, they pay your tuition if you get out of uh, college with a, uh, a laser welding certificate. They'll pay your tuition. So there are a lot of ways that we can bring down the cost or even make um, – you know, these skills uh, free at the community college by working in close collaboration with the folks that need these jobs. This is where we live. Uh, You're hearing Ned Lamont in studio with us today. He's a Democratic endorsed candidate for governor. You can also uh, see this conversation on Facebook Live. Just search for where we live. You can add your comment for Ned Lamont uh, below the video stream. And again, you can call us at 860-275-7266. We can talk a lot about different issues, but I I did want to find out um, there were um, some uh, differing opinions on your choice of Susan Bicewitz as running mate. Why did you choose Susan? Because she's qualified to be governor if something happened in a pinch. She gives us uh, the best chance to win in November. And I got to know her pretty well on the campaign trail. Look, we, what were there, seven of us? We traveled all over the state together, going to town committees and forums and the such. She stuck to the issues. She was well-versed. She knows what she's doing. She's going to be a good partner for me going forward. She's also someone that has a lot of experience, also has run for many different um, uh, seats uh, within uh, state government. Uh, But at the same time, we hear so often that, you know, besides this being the year of the woman, this year there are many uh, people of color running for elected office, including Eva uh, Bermudez Zimmerman. She's someone that uh, people may not have known unless they were part of of, uh, the unions uh, here in the state of Connecticut. And for the the convention, she got 40 percent of the delegate vote? Or why not pick someone of color to be your running mate? I talked to an awful lot of people. Let me, let me tell you on that. But secondly, I've got to run a state that needs a lot of help. And I'm an outsider. I haven't spent my life in Hartford. I have not been in the political class up here. And I'm proud of that. And I'm going to go up there and shake things up as the best way I can. One thing that Susan does is she knows the insider game, as you point out, very different background than what I've got. And she can work with folks in the legislature and make sure that not only am I shaking things up, I'm getting them done. 
You mentioned that you're, you're an outsider. So how do you reach people outside of Greenwich? You mentioned that uh, Susan knows a lot of people, has been in the system for some time. But when you uh, come into uh, Bridgeport or Hartford or New Haven and people see you as a, a rich guy from Greenwich, as a, somebody running for governor, why should they vote for you? How do you connect with them, Ned? I don't think that's what they see. I've been around um, a number of times. Uh, they know that I am committed to this state. And they know I'm committed to them. And I go everywhere I can, looking people in the eye, telling them, uh, this is why I want to be your governor, and I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to represent you. And yeah, I'm a business guy. I've also been a volunteer at a school in Bridgeport. I'm a professor up at Central Connecticut State. I have been very active in this state for a long time. But most importantly, i got to convince people that it's not where you're from. It's where you stand, and I'm going to stand with them. And I'm doing okay on that front. People are getting to know me. Uh, your first, I think, television ad was released yesterday. Uh, you made a point to say that you're going to be totally open about what we're doing uh, for the state if you're elected with the legislature as well to, to help, again, uh, Connecticut through its many issues. But how do you really tackle uh, the state's fiscal mess without raising taxes? I think you first give the taxpayers confidence that their money is being well spent and it's being invested in a way that's going to help us grow this economy and also a fair economy that takes everybody into account and gives everybody opportunity. Right now, people don't really have that confidence. So I've got to go in there. Look, in my business, I took on the cable TV utilities. I provided a better service at less cost. And I've got to bring some of that um, entrepreneurial zip up to how we're doing business in Hartford. You know, secondly, I've got to come up with really strategic ways that we can reduce spending or at least give people confidence that their money is being well spent. You know, that includes um, looking at how we provide health care. This fee-for-service medicine that we do in our uh, Medicaid side is costing us hundreds of millions of dollars, makes doctors rich, makes hospitals richer, and really is costing us. I think we can find a way to treat our hospitals and doctors fair, but also provide a ways that we can save some money going forward. I think uh, those are the type of things I've got to start with. You know, taxes um, come later, but yeah, I've got, I've got to rebuild roads and bridges. When GE left, they said our transportation system is a mess. Gridlock, bumper-to-bumper traffic, that's why I'm going to Boston. So yeah, we've got to put some money in the transportation. We've got to have more frequent rail service. We've got to get some of those big tractor trailers off the road. So I've said, yeah, I would consider putting electronic tolling on those big tractor trailer trucks that are coming into uh, the state of Connecticut, beating up our roads. And I haven't heard a good alternative from anybody. I'm all ears. If you've got a better way to do it, um, Republican candidates for governor, let me know what it is. But more borrowing is not the idea. Uh, why just tax uh, the tractor trailer? I think that's something that Rhode Island uh, um, is doing, and now they're getting sued for it. Let's see how that works out. Rhode Island is doing it. They've been doing it for a few months. For us, it would represent $150, $200 million a year. And let's see where it goes from there. But right now, these big out-of-state tractor trailers, they're beating up our roads. They should pay a little bit more. I live in Suffield, Connecticut. I see uh, many uh, out-of-state drivers coming out of uh, coming from Massachusetts, uh, passing me on I-91. Um, why not just tax all commuters who are on the road? That's what other states in the Northeast do. I don't think we're ready for that. You maybe notice uh, the legislature turned it down last – I don't even think they brought it up for a vote. Every single Republican opposed it. They didn't have an alternative, but they all opposed it. So I want to do something that I can do quickly and I can get past, and then we'll see what happens from there.
Uh, you can join our conversation, ask a question of Ned Lamont. Again, he's the Democratic endorsed candidate for governor. The number 860-275-7266. You're listening to Where We Live. Sean's calling from Cromwell. Sean, go ahead. Hi, um, my name is Sean Flowers. I just had a quick question. It's not one that is widely discussed, but I am a medical marijuana patient in the state of Connecticut. And as you know, or may or may not know, I guess one of the committees just sent a bill out of committee and it's just up for the legislature to uh, consider. And if you look around the region, northeast region, you see Maine has uh, legalized recreational marijuana, Vermont has. Massachusetts has, and this issue doesn't get a lot of, you know, I was wondering what your position would be on the growing social change of marijuana. It's not just a social issue. It even, you know, combines into criminal justice reform, sentencing reform, all those, you know, various aspects to it. So I was wondering what would your position be on the expansion of the medical marijuana program in the state, as well as recreational marijuana legalization, potentially? Good question, Sean. Ned? Yeah, I'm with you, Sean. I think uh, legalizing uh, marijuana is an idea whose time has come. Uh, as you point out, all of our neighboring states or most of our neighboring states are doing it. Uh, Lucy asked me about tax revenue. Maybe we can tax uh, this, regulate it in a serious way, put some of that money towards uh, opioid uh, treatment. I think there's a, it's an idea whose time has come. And you also bring up how unfairly the laws are applied. And there is a sense of discrimination as it's applied. I think it's part of our criminal justice reform as well. It's an idea as time has come, and I'm going to push it in the first year. Uh, there's been a lot of studies done about uh, whether the, the state should um, uh, legalize recreational marijuana. Um, and you said it doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, political will to do something like this. But at the same time, when we're in Connecticut, it seems that a lot of other states are uh, trying new things and being more innovative than Connecticut, including like how to bring different industries uh, into the state um, and as well as getting uh, more investment here. Why does Connecticut lag in your opinion? I think we lag for a number of reasons. One, you need a governor who's a champion for the state, believes in the state, gets to know all the uh, major employers, reaches out to them, sees what they need. You know, I guarantee you, I'm not going to be surprised. They're not going to look at the newspaper one day and say, oh, my gosh, Mass Mutual is leaving or Alexion is leaving. You know, I'm going to know these folks. I'm going to be in front of that issue. If it's a training issue that they have, like in the case of GE, at least we're going to give that our best shot going forward. And longer term, Lucy, people just want to know where the state is going. They don't expect me to solve everything in day one, but they want to know where we're going. Give us a sense of direction. What does that mean in terms of training our workforce? What is our transportation system going to look like? Will Waterbury and Danbury and, and New London be interconnected by rail on a more frequent basis so we tie our state together? That's what you need from a governor right now. A, the vision, and B, somebody who listens and responds and gets things done. We're going to be heading to break, but since you brought up transportation, uh, Stephen from uh, uh, from Twitter is asking how city cities like Middletown can get connected to Hartford Rail. He wants to see Middletown moving again. How do we do it? Well, the rail service is going to go by there, uh, and I'm going to make sure that rail connects all of our lo localities as best we can. Rail is pretty expensive. It's not just a question of putting it in. It's how you subsidize that going forward, and you've got to figure out how you do that. But I've got to get people off the roads into a public transportation. Like, I was sort of surprised. I, I spent a day uh, traveling around on the bus in, um, in New Haven the other day, 
And the bus is empty about 80 percent of the time, except for peak hours. And everybody's lined up, uh, you know, at rush hour trying to get in. I said, what if we reduce the price, at least for seniors, at least for kids going to community college? Why don't we make it even free during off-peak hours? What would that cost us? And in the case of New Haven, it was, uh, you know, a few million dollars. So I'm just trying to think of ways that I can do more to accelerate transportation because I know how important that is to our employers. Ned Lamont is in studio here on Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're going to continue to take your calls after the break. The number 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We're also on Facebook Live. Add a question below the video stream. We'll be back after a short break. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're here in studio with Ned Lamont, who's running for governor. He's the Democratic endorsed candidate. It's not the first time he's running for governor. And there are certainly enough interest in the job. Five Republicans on the primary ballot, August 14th. Another Democrat who's petitioned his way onto the ballot, that's Joe Gannum. And tonight, Ned Lamont and Joe Gannum will have a debate, a uh, first televised debate. We should note that uh, Ned, uh, uh, Joe Gannum will be on where we live on Monday, July 30th, to also uh, take your questions. Now, if you have a question for Ned Lamont today, the number again, 860-275-7266. Find us on uh, Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. And uh, Ned, we were talking about uh, different streams of funding that could help the state of Connecticut, recreational marijuana being one of them. Tolling could help uh, pay for our uh, roads. And I'm just curious, when we look at um, the traditional ways that Connecticut has uh, been able to bring in funding, uh, a lot of that relies on gaming. The East Windsor Casino that will be built at some point, we know that MGM Springfield will be opening now August 24th. Was it a good idea to try to open a casino in East Windsor to compete with MGM? I guess so. Look, gambling and gaming are not the future of the state of Connecticut, but if private enterprise wants to go in and invest millions of dollars and create some uh, jobs and opportunity for people, you know, I'm not going to stand in the way of that. I'm a little more intrigued by uh, the idea of sports betting. It's happening already. Billions are being um, you know, bet on the Super Bowl every year. And other states are taking advantage of that. Maybe Connecticut. I think Connecticut will play in that game. I think that will be another source of a tax revenue for the state of Connecticut to put in the education or ways we can hold down property tax. So I'm open to all these ideas. Am I a gambler? No. Now, when it comes, you said that you're a businessman, uh, and we look at the East Windsor Casino, how that whole process went down in the the General Assembly. Uh, Should that have been an open bid process? And is East Windsor really a good location? We know that there was a a delegation uh, from New Haven and Bridgeport that say, cite it in Bridgeport. A, is it either or? B, it should be an open process. And C, if somebody wants to put six or seven hundred million dollars on the waterfront in a in Bridgeport, I wouldn't stand in the way of that either. I keep, do keep telling um, you know, Mayor Gannam, stop calling it a gambling casino and call it a resort that has restaurants, that have hotel. It's, um, it's going to really open up Bridgeport to a lot of development, I hope. So it could have a real potential. Uh, we're getting a tweet from David uh, who wants to know if you, if elected, would end the obstruction of police accountability legislation uh, that has been found in the General Assembly the past few sessions. Look, I believe in community policing. I believe in holding a, you know, police accountable. Whether we need special new legislation on that, you know, let me take a look at it. But I want the community to believe in the police force. I, believe, I want them to know that the police force is, um, 
you know, there to protect them. I kind of like uh, what Neil O'Leary's doing down in Waterbury, where he's got the uh, Police Athletic League. And they um, have an amazing program where all the kids do sports. And it's often the police who are helping to lead that. So they get to know each other very well. And there really is a sense of community between the young people and the police there. Um, as you campaign around the state, what are residents telling you about um, uh, law enforcement and how you can, how they can improve relations with the community? I think they want um, a police force that reflects the community. I think they want a police force that they can identify with. And I'll, I'll go further than that, Lucy. I mean, I hear that um, in terms of teaching as well. I mean, we have, um, you know, 50 percent of our kids in our school today are children of color. What is it? You know, less than 10% of the teachers are color. So I would make a big emphasis. We have a shortage of teachers, like I said. So look, you go teach at Harding High. You go teach in one of our um, urban school districts. You commit to be there for five years. I forgive your student loan. I want the best and the brightest teaching in these schools to give each and every one of these kids an opportunity. Maybe we go down to the historically black colleges and we say, we've got this program here in Connecticut. I think you ought to think about um, bringing your teaching skills right here. Let's talk a little bit about education. That has been a hot topic, especially when um, the, the the idea of how the state funds public school education went before the state Supreme Court, uh, the ruling being that uh, the state adequately provides a minimal amount. But that doesn't seem good enough, especially when you see the achievement gap widening. You see neighborhood schools in Hartford and Bridgeport uh, where the students aren't learning. There's so many other issues that they're dealing with in their lives. I mean, how can we do better as a state to support them where it's not a funding fight between Hartford and, say, a wealthy uh, suburb like uh, Simsbury or Greenwich? Well, the first thing you don't do is promise to eliminate the income tax and take away half of the revenues that um, you know, support the state and support state aid to education, which is uh, the program of a number of the Republican candidates for governor. As number two, what you do need to do a better job of funding um, education. We rely much too much on the property tax. If you eliminate the income tax like these guys are talking about, that's just going to raise property tax or cut education. And that's the wrong way to go. Uh, I think we need education that provides preschool for all of our kids, provides after school. That gives our kids the best opportunity and allows that single parent, that single mom right here in Hartford, makes it more possible for her to continue working as well. Uh, the uh, the proposals that went through under Governor Malloy uh, taking, uh, you know, reducing state aid again to uh, wealthier towns uh, so that they can go towards uh, cities with uh, distressed districts. Do you support that? Look, I think it makes all the sense in the world. I want education dollars to go where there's the most need and we um, can make the most difference. I will tell you that my friends in the legislature say, Ned, be careful because I want to make sure we have a majority of legislators who support uh, education cost sharing. And so I want to make sure that we don't cut out a lot of um, a lot of towns whose support I need and probably could use some support. This is where we live. Ned Lamont is here to answer your question, 860-275-7266. We're also on Facebook Live. Ben's calling from Wallingford. Ben, go ahead. Hey, uh, I'm a volunteer with uh, 350 Connecticut, and I look forward to seeing uh, Mr. Lamont at the Climate Change Forum on Monday at Trinity. And I just wanted to ask him if if he becomes governor, if he would um, fix the mistakes that the legislator made by changing net metering and give us price equality for what the utilities produce and what people produce with their own renewable energy. 
Ben, that's a very uh, sophisticated question. So what that says is if I'm putting up uh, solar panels on my uh, house, I want people to have an incentive to do that. And one of the incentives I have is I can sell my um, electricity back onto the grid. Net metering would potentially limit my ability to do that. I want to open that up, and I want to make darn sure that everybody continues to have the incentives to um, – slowly wean us off of fossil fuels. And secondly, as a business guy, I go right to the business community and say, this is good for business as well. We have some of the highest priced electricity in the country. That's uh, tough on the middle class, and it also is tough on uh, creating jobs. So there are lots of very good reasons why we ought to continue to incent um, you know, solar panels and uh, that metering. Uh, we are also getting a, another call in. I wanted to, to take them, but right now they're on hold. So I wanted to just ask you from a tweet we got from Sean, we look at housing costs in the state of Connecticut. Um, so many uh, college students who end up not leaving the state, uh, many of them are still living in their parents' home uh, because they can't afford to live on their own. Uh, Sean wants to know how you view affordable housing as an economic development tool to attract and retain a talented workforce. Absolutely vital. I mean, the middle class is getting slammed in this state. One reason is um, very high costs, starting with housing. I hear that wherever I go, housing. I hear that from uh, employers. I can't attract the best and the brightest because they can't find a place to live, or if they can find a place to live, they can't get to the place of employment. Look, I'm going to be, A, a champion for the cities. That starts with transportation, major transportation hubs in all of our major cities, then affordable housing and transit-oriented development in and around those transportation centers in our cities. I want that for young people. I want seniors to be able to stay in the state of Connecticut. And increasingly, I hear from seniors, I'd love to be in the city. I'd love to be in a metropolitan area. I'd love to be in Hartford, allowing a lot of rentals coming up in Hartford now. I think we're we got to bring our cities back to life, and affordable housing will be a big piece of that. And I could use a little help from Donald Trump on this, by the way, um, but we'll get it done. Uh, Marianne from Bethel uh, wanted to put in a comment uh, that talks about how our state parks are crowded. She wants to see more land in the state of Connecticut turned into parks and wants to hear more about your take on climate change. Uh, two slightly different questions, but Right now, we have a tax policy where the highest taxes are in the cities, which pushes development and pushes business out into open space, to your question. So that's one of the reason number 39. I think it's so important we bring our cities back to life, make sure there's housing there, bring down the tax rate there, don't eliminate the income tax, provide support for education, good schools there. So the development is more likely to happen in our urban centers closer to where the transportation is. That will protect open space and that will make a big difference in terms of climate change. And just in eight seconds, the more cars I get off the road and more people I get into trains and buses, the better that's going to be for our uh, atmosphere as well. Uh, recently, uh, we spoke to Andrew Carl, uh, who uh, wrote about uh, Connecticut's exclusive uh, shoreline. Uh, the book is called Free the Beaches, and through history, we see tremendous wealth along the state's coastline and how exclusive it has become, uh, beaches uh, not being open uh, to all. And if uh, there are uh, out-of-resident uh, uh, fees, they're, they're very high. So again, it's not um, people can't access uh, the shoreline, and it should be accessible uh, to many people. But when we talk about climate change, we know uh, that the, the, the seas are rising. We know that when there are uh, uh, big storms uh, like Sandy, uh, that these are the communities that are at risk, but yet uh, they're also the ones getting uh, federal and state help uh, to rebuild. Is that the right approach, Ned? You had like three questions in there. <laughs> um, 
Look, first of all, when it comes to our shoreline communities, we got to be smart going forward. We got to make darn sure that it's not the public that's going to have to pick up all the risk in case of flooding and the such. So over time, I want to do everything I can to protect our shorelines. I want to protect them also um, for public access so people can utilize these incredible um, opportunities we have in the state. We're one of those beautiful states in the country. Let's take advantage of that. I'm a strong champion of tourism as well, what that can mean. We're cutting back on our tourism budget. We're almost eliminating it. At the same time, we ought to make um, all of our beaches and public space available to kids and say our cities that don't always have access to it, promote it for tourism, and make at least a way that others can utilize it as well. This is where we live. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Someone is asking about a paid family or medical leave. Is that something that will be done if you're elected? That's something that will be done if I'm elected. Paid family and medical leave, uh, it's not just another benefit and a burden upon employers. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think with more and more of the the workforce made up of single parents, we have to find ways that we can get them working, give them an opportunity to be able to provide for their families and also take care of a sick one. So I'm seeing this in Massachusetts, just passed it, New York, a lot of our neighboring states. I think Connecticut should be a leader here, not a follower. It's the business community that often lobbies against uh, paid family leave. I mean, how do you um, combat that here in the state of Connecticut, even though there are other states that are offering this? Hey, business guys. I started a business, too, and uh, I can tell you the high cost of losing a great person in our workplace because she had to choose between taking care of a sick one and and being here or uh, giving birth and staying here. I work that out in my company. we got to find ways we work it out for everybody. You cannot afford to lose workers in this day and age. Look, the unemployment is low. we got to make sure everybody who wants to work can work. Uh, I asked you this earlier, but a listener wants to again hear how you're going to uh, separate yourself from the Malloy eight years of being our governor. How are you going to make it different and fix the state? I'm a very different cat. I mean, first of all, um, my door is going to be open. I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And my door is open to labor. My door is open to business. Um, Themis Claritus, come on over. Um, I'll have the uh, Republican and Democratic leaders. I want to keep the uh, governor's mansion. Everybody asked me about that. Maybe we can come over on a Friday night and we can uh, have a frosty beverage and we can actually talk about how we work through this together. I think that's a very different place than we've been for the last uh, eight years and the last uh, 28 years. Uh, Tell me about your thoughts on your opponent, again, who petitioned his way onto the primary ballot, uh, Joe Gannam. You're going to be debating him on television tonight. Do you think a man with a felony conviction for public corruption should be running for governor? I think that the uh, people of Connecticut um, said he's got the right to run uh, in the primary. So I think he's got the shot to do that. Um, He uh, collected some petitions. Um, Many of them were thrown out, but I think he's got enough to qualify and uh, so I think he's got the right to do that. I just want him to stick to the issues. None of this. He spends a lot of time talking about himself, a lot of time talking about me. Let's talk about the people of Connecticut and how we turn the state around. I'm looking forward to it. If that's the debate tonight, bring it on. You said that he's been talking a lot about you, about the fact that you're wealthy, and he says you're out of touch, but you're saying that's not true. I'm saying that's not the point. Who is Ned Lamont? Why is he fighting for you? Look, Joe grew up in a leafy suburb of eastern Connecticut. I mean, let's stop pretending to be who we're not. Just say who I am, why I believe I've got the best interests of you at heart, why I think we can turn around the state of Connecticut. That's what the debate should all be about.
We talked a little bit about uh, our pensions being unfunded for decades. Another listener wants to hear you again try to explain uh, how you're going uh, to work with unions as well as uh, get us out of this fiscal mess. Here's an idea. The Fiscal Commission came up with a very good idea, I thought. As you know, um, uh, the teacher's pension fund is, let's say, 55 percent funded. And, uh, and by the way, in case people forget, teachers uh, gave up Social Security generations ago. So all they have to live on in their golden years is that pension. So we've got to find a way to fix that. One of the ideas they had was take the lottery, which is supposed to be money that all goes to education. It's been looted by the politicians, and it hasn't all gone to education. Put that lottery, which has a value in the many billions of dollars, into the teacher's pension fund. That would up the, uh, you know, how much is uh, we've got qualified right now. Stretch out the payments. We can't pay off all those debts. It took us 30 years to uh, accumulate them. We stretch it out over 10, 15, 20 years. That will mean we have a solvent teacher's pension fund and teachers can count on it. Ned Lamont, again, is Democratic endorsed candidate for governor. Thank you so much for coming in. We appreciate it. My delight. Thanks, Lucy. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, two political scientists are going to join us from, for some analysis, and they're going to share what we should be watching for in this gubernatorial race with just over a month to go before the August 14th primary. You can join our conversation, too, 860-275-7266, and you can find us on Facebook Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We just heard from Ned Lamont, the Democratic-endorsed candidate for governor. Now for some analysis on the points Lamont raised, we invited two political scientists onto the show. I want to welcome back to the, our show Dr. Bilal Saku, Associate Professor of Political Science in Hillier College at the University of Hartford. Nice to see you, Bilal. Hey, good morning to you. And I want to welcome Dr. Jonathan Wharton, Assistant Professor of Political Science and Urban Affairs at Southern Connecticut State University. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, we should know uh, Political Director for Kurt Miller, yes. GOP endorsed candidate for Connecticut State Comptroller, but in your capacity today, you're just here to talk about uh, specifically about the gubernatorial race. So just wanted to put that out there. So let's hear what you think about uh, Ned Lamont's uh, points that uh, and the, the things that he said related to the questions, uh, including how we're going to get the state of Connecticut out of this fiscal mess. I'll start with you, Bilal. Okay, sure. Very, first of all, very good interview. I thought it was wide ranging, covered a lot of topics. Um, I was amazed you were able to squeeze that much in in such a short period of time. A couple of things struck, you know, stood out to me. One, I thought just uh, from the standpoint of answering questions about uh, the hole that we're in as far as the state is with regard to the budget and some of the challenges of digging us out of that, I wish he could have said a lot more about that. I didn't think he really uh, elaborated enough about why he thought we're in this problem and how to get out of it. I think Connecticut has a revenue problem and it won't be solved simply by cuts. And so that stood out to me as something that I think he's got to dive more deeply in for voters to deal with. I thought his uh, answers around um, things like collective bargaining and other things were great nods to unions. He's going to need unions in order to win this thing. And so getting union support, strong union support, is going to be really important. I think he's got to do, again, some more work on how he frames that and talks about it. And the final thing was I thought his answers about the cities, I think, you know, certainly he is trying to position himself as being someone who will speak to the needs of cities. I think that will be Joe Ganim's really key sort of argument. And so he has positioned himself on education, um, policing, and other issues that are really important to urban voters. And so from that standpoint, that was a good 
response from him. Jonathan. Well, you know, I, I share the same concerns uh, with, with the professor here. Uh, as a matter of fact, I thought you did a great job. There were a lot of questions, obviously, you know, out there. Um, and it was great to hear at least about the legalization of marijuana, for example. And he was very firm about that, saying he's going to take care of that in the first year. That is an interesting issue, especially since obviously our nearby states here are pressing that as an issue. And certainly from a financial revenue side, it could be of interest. Um, but then at the same time, I was still looking for more specifics. Uh, he spoke at least about going back to what you had offered, uh, you know, cities and, and redeveloping and those areas. But again, I didn't hear anything specific in terms of initiatives. Yes, transparency development, but how? What about tax credits? How about tax initiatives? What is going to be more specific to get, at least in getting uh, transit more fluid between the cities, too. That wasn't quite there. I'm going to go back to, and I, you know, this is definitely my wheelhouse, what about the state university system? It's great to hear his concerns surrounding community college education. But again, is he on board with Marco Jenkins, you know, for students' first initiative or not? He was, seemed to kind of tap dance a little bit around that, and I wanted to hear a little bit more substance, if you will. Uh, Bilal mentioned, uh, Jonathan, uh, that Joe Gannon is, does a better job of relating mm. to uh, more uh, diverse residents here in the state of Connecticut, not just Fairfield County. So how can Ned Lamont uh, be, be able to relate better uh, to all residents? That's the biggest question. And I think we heard in you know, at least a little bit of what happened in New Haven when he tried to ride the bus. Right. And he obviously brought that up today. You know, it's 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 a difficult question because one thing that we tend to overlook, and I'm sure you can speak to this, is mm-hmm. what about the importance about retail politics? That is Joe Gannam's, you know, mantra. He's very good at connecting, relating to the people. And I've seen it firsthand at the Bridgeport City Council meetings. And it's just amazing to see kind of the old school, let's connect with the residents, let's relate to them. How can Ned Lamont do that? And I don't know if that's really there. And I'm still looking for it. I think many voters are. Bilal, what did you think about uh, his response to why he chose Susan? He emphasized experience, Mm. experience, experience. We know, again, that it was a very uh, close uh, uh, delegates uh, vote uh, at the convention uh, of Susan Beisowitz over uh, Eva. And uh, this is something that has caused some division within uh, the Democratic Party. So I'm just curious about what you think of of his response. Yeah, the things he mentioned in terms of explaining why he chose her, I thought the most revealing comment he made was uh, his comment about being an outsider and she being an insider. And so when you think about the experience, what is that experience? That experience is that she's someone who's held statewide office, someone who's been in the legislature, someone who knows the players. And so she has access to people and knowledge of how that institution works in a way that he probably doesn't. I mean, that's the downside of business people coming in, wanting to run for elective office, and they have no experience with running government, which is different from running a business. And so that to me was very revealing and how he sort of offered that as an idea. I think he's got a real problem, though, on his hands. I think the Democratic Party in the state of Connecticut has a problem, just like at the national level. People of color are surging in significance um, within the party. They are asking for voice and representation within the party. And so this is a real challenge, I think, for Democrats across the country, is how do you depend so much on this core as a part of your base who really you can't win national office without, and in some states you can't win statewide office and also you know national offices in those states, but at the same time, how can you um, integrate or incorporate these folks into governance and into you know power um, within those states? And I think he's got a, he still has a challenge on that. I don't think he answered that question well. Well, we see that in New Jersey, obviously with the governor there. Right. And uh, look what's happened. It's taking forever, and they've been debating within the Democratic Party, for God's sake. I mean, mm-hmm. it, that's exactly what's happening even in the tri-state area. It's just kind of interesting. Now, um, we're obviously talking to the candidates before uh, the 
primaries, but we know that uh, independents unaffiliated in the state are the largest uh, sector of voters in the state of Connecticut. So I'm curious, Jonathan, um, how, uh, you know, is, could Ned Lamont appeal to them or even to a moderate Republican? This is the biggest pet peeve. I am constantly telling my students, please register for a political party. There are too many independents unaffiliated voters, and then they all complain, right? They need to step up and be a part of it. But I don't think they realize that we have a closed primary here. And so it's important to register and to sign up. But it's too late now. So what can be done? How can you motivate those people to show up in the general election? That's, for both sides, a big question, a big concern. Because let's face it, there's only 21 percent of registered Republicans. And the Democrats, it's, you know, it's, it's barely double that. So what can we do to get them more involved and more engaged? And right. those candidates need to work on that. Big time. And in Connecticut, we could see that happen in terms of what happened in 1990 with somebody like Lowell Weicker, uh, which maybe is, a third party option or independent. Yeah, which in so many ways is part of the challenge, right? I mean, there is this primary where you've got to appeal to your base. And for the Democratic Party, it's union voters, it's people of color in cities. And then you've got to pivot between the primary and the general election to appeal to that sort of larger electorate who includes independents who aren't registered with either of the parties and can't participate. And so It'll be interesting to see how Ned, over the next few weeks, and other candidates who are running for Republican um, Party, how they will speak to that base and then how they will try to pivot to speak to the general electorate and speak to a broader sort of constituency who are worried about taxes, who are worried about um, priority state spending, who are worried about job growth and economic development within the state, the educational system, and many of these other issues. But they may see them those issues in ways that the base of both parties may not see them. Bilal Sakou is in studio with us, Associate Professor of Political Science at Hilliard College at the University of Hartford. Also, Jonathan Wharton, Assistant Professor of Political Science and Urban Affairs at Southern Connecticut State University. Uh, we're getting a little of analysis of Ned Lamont's appearance here on Where We Live about uh, where he stands on particular issues. You can join our conversation, uh, 860-275-7266. Uh, the primary comes again in uh, the, the heat of the summer uh, in terms of who's going to turn out for the primary. And are, do you think more people be mobilized with, with what they're seeing in Washington to come out and be more active uh, with their, their Connecticut primary here, Jonathan? I, I hope so. I really do. I mean, you know, it's interesting for me. You know, I teach and research state and local government. That's my, I live for that. But the reality is that national government gets all the attention. So somehow these candidates need to wake up Connecticut voters and say, hey, state and local government matters. Make it sexy again. It's a big issue, especially in terms of what Ned Lamont brought up and the other candidates bring up. We have financial concerns. I am concerned that we have lost our zest for Connecticut as a state, unfortunately. A lot of young people are leaving the state. This is a big wake-up call. This should be our moment. Uh, Bilal. Uh, you know, in some ways, I think you know, part of the challenge is trying to inspire people to take democratic uh, participation more seriously than what they do at this particular point. I mean, the turnout at the local level and, and local race, races is abysmal. Yes. Um, and I, my sense is that we will not see a robust, huge turnout for this August primary. Many people are on vacation, out yep. of town, not yes. paying attention, and really won't be paying a lot of attention until – um, you know, November and, you know, hopefully turnout will, will rebound then. So in the, in the short run, I, I think civic education, more education, Absolutely. more education is part of the answer. And we've got to make that investment um, in that. And I think that's part of how we 
you know, boost participation and people really take their responsibilities as citizens of a democracy more seriously than what they do. And we're unique because we're in Connecticut. I mean, come on, this is New England. We, there should be this sense of engagement, this urgency to be involved. Uh, Jonathan, we're getting a tweet from Jack who says that he's an independent. He's going to stay that way. There are aspects of both parties that make me not want to affiliate with either. How about changing the law so independents can vote in primaries? Oh, good luck working with the party <laughs> leaders on that. They want their base to be loyal. <laughs> yep. Exactly. It's all about being dutiful. So it's very difficult to make that change, to make an open primary or even do a caucus. I mean, that would be interesting if we went as far as Iowa. But yeah, they are very firm in making certain that it's going to remain party loyalists. We just have a couple minutes to go. Again, uh, Ned Lamont and Joe Gannon, who will be on Where We Live on July 30th. Ned and Joe Gannon are going to debate tonight at the Schubert Theater in New Haven. What will you be watching for? Oh, I'm going to be right there. I I have my seats ready. And uh, we got a lot of Southern students showing up for this. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how Joe Gannon debates, you know, particularly as a lawyer. (laughs) And so I'm going to be paying attention to him, especially. I am very interested to see how that works out. We're going to be hearing about bathrooms below. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I had the opportunity, uh, when the Working Families Party actually had a debate amongst the Democratic candidates. I was one of the moderators for that. So I had a chance to see Joe Gannon early on with um, some of the other candidates who've all dropped out of the race. Um, Ned Lamont wasn't there. So I think it'll, it'll be an interesting opportunity for, for Gannon to try to sell himself to the state of Connecticut um, that uh, voters will not see him simply as a, a corrupt mayor who went to jail, mm. um, prison. And so he's got a, a lot of work to convince people within the party that uh, him winning the nomination would not just be a death you know, for the party in terms of being able to win in November. So he's got to talk about the issues and explain himself uh, very clearly about why he is the person who the state needs to lead the state right now and that there is some value in redemption um, for for someone. I think uh, it's a message that appeals to a lot of people in urban communities who have uh, themselves perhaps felony convictions or relatives who have felony convictions. Lamont's got to really distance himself um, from from Malloy and the sort of bad sort of relationship Malloy has with many voters in the state, but also project a a future that people can be confident in. We're going to have to leave it there. Again, Bilal Sekou from the University of Hartford and Jonathan Wharton from Southern Connecticut State University. Thank you for your analysis. We hope to have both of you back for our next one. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Today's show produced by Lydia Brown. Uh, Special thanks to Jason Perez and Carmen Baskoff. Kyan Wolster, technical producer. I'm Lucy Nalpithanchel. As always, thanks for listening.